Welcome to The Art of the Impossible, a podcast for the design and manufacturing industry that explores how you can leverage technology, processes, and people to make the impossible possible. I'm Asif Mogul, Senior Industry Manager at Autodesk, and each week I'll be joined by two experts from the design and manufacturing world to discuss their perspectives on the challenges our industry faces and share what they're doing to overcome them. From smart products, mass customization, digitization, supply chain resilience, and the convergence of once diverse industries, this podcast is for anyone that runs a design and manufacturing business who's interested in making things possible. You can subscribe by following us on Apple, Spotify, or via your favorite platform. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to one of the last two episodes of this podcast series. And um, this episode, we're going to talk about one of those themes that consistently came up in every single conversation we had to date, and that's collaboration. Seems to be consistently high up on the list of things that manufacturers want to address as part of their digital transformation journey. And it might sound really cliche, but I think the past 12 months has proved beyond all doubt that being more collaborative can result in some outstanding, phenomenal outcomes. Uh, Just look at the development of medical products and vaccines in timescales that have been previously thought of as unimaginably impossible. So that's what we want to talk about today. How can we get more of that in our day-to-day work as a design and manufacturing industry? So uh, collaborating with me on this episode two special guests today. So I'd like to welcome Tony Cox, who's the owner and co-founder of Great British Outdoor Fires, and John Grimshaw, who's a product manager at El Cometer. Hi, gents. Welcome both. Hello. Pleased to be here. Hi. Thanks for having us. Great to have you here. So, Tony, um, perhaps we could start with you. Could you tell us a little bit about Great British Fireplaces? Uh, Well, uh, Great British Outdoor Fires was founded, I guess, in the idea stage in late 2016. uh, And it was basically a culmination of of us looking for a fire pit for our garden after we uh, re-landscaped and spent uh, quite quite a lot of money on the garden. And we wanted a fire pit. Uh, We looked around. We couldn't find anything that wasn't really, really sort of thin, tatty stuff that was, uh, you know, probably going to rust out uh, after a season or two. And then we found other things that were, I guess, probably would be considered art. And, uh, you know, there was several thousand pounds. And I just thought, where is the middle ground? Where, where is the value for money product? I looked around, couldn't find it. I'm one of those people that if I can't find what I'm looking for, I'll have a go myself. And uh, we sort of started the company by accident by trying to uh, build and source our, our own fire pit. And we've registered the company 2017. And we've uh, sold mostly at, at trade shows and uh, online. And we recently, in the past year, have a, a retail presence at a, at a local garden center. So it's a genuinely homegrown company. Absolutely. And and a family company as well. Uh, you know, we've got a, uh, my wife and I co-founded it. And we have two sons who are university age. And uh, they're very actively involved in it when they can. Fantastic. And uh, John, if we could come to you, could you tell us a bit about El Cometa, the sort of things that you do and your specific role uh, within the company? Yeah, so El Cometa is a 75-year-old business, uh, family-owned. Uh, we've been on this site for 200 years as a as a family-owned business, but just transitioned into um, being a world leader in the design, manufacture and supply of inspection equipment to the coating industry. 
So if you see a bridge that needs painting, it's probably one of our products that tells you how thick the paint is, what the lifetime of the paint is, and how, when it's going to need to be refreshed. And that's kind of what we do as a business from ships to foundation to chocolate. It's all about how to get the best, very best coating on whatever product it is that you're trying to um, coat. Uh, please tell me you are doing work with the fourth bridge, you know, that sort of continuous story you hear about them starting to paint the bridge by the time they finish and need to start it again. Is that one of your customers or clients? Uh, so I don't know exactly whether the fourth bridge is, but I know that we've just done a uh, collaboration with a company who's uh, stripping and repainting the Erskine Bridge at the moment up in Scotland. Um, one of the main problems that they had was that it's a, it's a protected site. So you couldn't put your equipment on the bridge because it's effectively the blast, the sandblasting equipment is effectively an explosive device if it's used incorrectly. So you have to have all of that equipment off the bridge. And our product was one of the only ones that could uh, keep the same blast pressure at the nozzle quite a way away from where the unit was. So we we are doing work with companies that do that kind of thing, but I don't know whether the fourth bridge is one of ours. Okay, there's a potential lead for your company there to sort of follow up. So great. So um, great introduction by you both. I think we've got two good guests to talk about this topic of collaboration. And so, Tony, perhaps I, I could start with you now. Um, I'm pretty confident if I just Googled it or went to sort of, you know, some, some sort of website, uh, we could all look up a uh, fairly academic definition of the term collaboration. But what I'm really interested in is uh, in the most practical of terms and in the context of what you do every day as your business, how, how do you define collaboration? What actually is it to you? Well, for, for me, uh, collaboration is just uh, the recognition that uh, you really can't do everything yourself and, and you really shouldn't do everything yourself because uh, I think the uh, cliche phrase, uh, many hands make light work, is definitely alive and well. We find ourselves collaborating with our suppliers. We even find ourselves collaborating on product development with our customers. And it's also a lot more fun to go on a journey when there's more than one of you. There's nothing more boring than just your own company trying to think you've got all the questions and all the answers. You're definitely, you're definitely foolish if you think that. So it's really the only way, in my opinion. So, so there's, again, a sense of, um, I think you said, you can't do everything yourself. So it sounds like what your your definition of collaboration might be a way to just work with the people around you to solve all the challenges and problems that you need to as, as they occur or before they occur or, or even while they're occurring. Is, is that fair? No, no, it's, it's perfectly uh, valid. We obviously want to try to solve the uh, problems before they occur. That, that's, that, that's the ideal, but uh, that, that's not really uh, real life that we found. So... It's important, really. I, I always think, you know, honesty is is the best policy. You know, we're a small company. We try to get things right first time, but uh, sometimes there's too many things to do in, in the day. And you know, there's occasions where, you know, our, our first foot forward it turns out not to be the correct one, and we we try to put things right and, and show that we're responsive to customers' needs or to suppliers' kind of ways of working. We we work very closely, you know, to to make sure we're doing things in a, in a way that is efficient for say our suppliers uh, and if we don't sometimes you know it will cost us more money but it just makes sense because you get things turned around quicker if you take the time to you know understand you know what what may be causing uh, you know if, if you've got any issues work with them to uh, 
understand how you can can work better to make uh, everything much more seamless for all concerned. Great. Thank you, Tony. And John, so a similar question to you. In the context of your role at Alcometer, how are you defining collaboration? So for me, Tony hits on a really good point, actually, saying that it's like a journey. I do relate like a, we're all part of a story. So no one person can actually go from the start to the finish without knowing what the finish is and are we all pointing in the same direction to get there. Um, I've just finished watching Vikings, uh, so it kind of falls in, in quite well in that the one, of, one leader had an idea, he explained his idea, everyone pulled together, even through the difficult times, crossing the sea, storms, all that kind of thing, to get to the end goal, which was raiding England. You know, and that's that's kind of my idea of collaboration is somebody says something, this is the direction we're going, and everybody's pointing in the same direction. They've all got their own autonomy. Nobody needs to know everything. Nobody needs to do everything. But together, you get from point A to point B in the most effective fashion. That's, a, again, some a really interesting perspective, John. So there's this, this concept of going from an idea to kind of a reality with a group of people solving problems as you go or trying to spot problems and move them out of the way, but just trying to achieve a specific goal or an objective. So um, yeah, a couple of very nice definitions. Tony, some of the conversations I have with, with people seem to suggest that the general view of collaboration is limited to groups of people, probably a bit like what we're doing now, having Zoom calls and just having meetings online to make decisions. But I think that's a very limited perspective on collaboration. Could you share some specific parts of your business where you think collaboration is really critical? It kind of goes beyond the sort of, you know, just getting online and having a Zoom meeting. Well, yeah, well, yes, absolutely. In fact, I don't think we used Zoom uh, or any kind of remote collaboration like this until very recently, you know, ourselves in our four or five year uh, history. But in in a manufacturing business, the Zoom call and the video conference really can, can only go so far. You really need time on the, on the shop floor to see some of the, some of the challenges, things just like keeping accurate in inventory. We're still a relatively young company, and we, we don't have uh, thousands invested in the ERP systems. So you know, we started out the, the usual way, you know, with uh, spreadsheets, Google, you know, a lot of collaboration. In fact, uh, not not advertising for Google, but we, we do use a lot of the Google products, and they are they're very good in terms of working together online when you have to. But then again, there's no substitute really for walking the shop floor every now and then and, and seeing some challenges right at the uh, call face, so to speak. So what you're saying then is, aside from the online meeting kind of stuff, actually getting stuck in and sort of experiencing what your staff and your members of your team are experiencing every day is a great way for you to understand some of the problems that they have and perhaps then bring together a team of people to solve them. Is that fair? Absolutely. In fact, you know, I'm, I've learned a lot about the, the, the metal industry, uh, you know, uh, welding, laser cutting, uh, CAD. The learning curve has been incredibly steep, assisted uh, a lot by uh, Autodesk. We work with people who have been in the industry far longer than, than we have. And every now and then, you can't really have an email that says, you know, I've had this idea about how to do something and sort of be taken seriously. But the, the time that I have put in uh, has been quite fruitful. So, you know, there have been times where I've described a, a challenge. In fact, to use an example, uh, we have some meshes that we slide in behind each of the panels of, of our fire pits. And it's just simply mild steel woven mesh. And we, we've done it a few different ways over, you know, over the few years. 
And I've been, you know, it was a real pain to work with this sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, I just kept iterating over, trying to, to make the product better, make it easier to manufacture and uh, to make it safer in terms of sharp uh, edges and deburring and basically iterated around uh, a, a loop. And then I, every now and then I would, I would come up and sort of collaborate with some suppliers and say, this is what I'm doing. And am I doing this right or wrong, or can you help make this any better? And, we, and we've been on this journey. And, and in this case, I've had people in the industry for far longer than I have come back to me and say, you know, you've absolutely nailed this one. We can't touch this in terms of efficiency. There's nothing we can do to better what you've done. So, and, and that's not to say, hey, look at me, how clever I am. But uh, it was nice to have that validation from someone because I, I did. I went out, tried to collaborate and find out who's built a better mousetrap because there's plenty of other examples I could quote where that, you know, that hasn't been the case. And, I, and I've learned a lot from, you know, my industry uh, companions. Thank you. Uh, so John, because um, what Tony's describing there is just, it just sounds like an engineering utopia. I've got this idea. This is my intent. Let's all get around a table. Let's kind of sort it out. And let's get a great product or a great business off the ground. And it's, it's, it suggests it requires people to be very open and willing to collaborate and, and sort of not sort of hold their cards close to their chest. In your experience, how open are uh, your supplier, without naming any specific ones, suppliers, customers, the people that you kind of come across with? Do you, are they that open to kind of want to work and solve problems with you? So it all, from my perspective, it all depends. So if we are collaborating with a supplier that's in the same industry as us, so somebody that, I don't know, sells transducers, for instance, if we want to work closely with them, they'll look at us and say, well, you produce transducers. Maybe we'll not collaborate too openly on that that particular area. But from previous businesses, my, my last company, I was working at a small startup, much like Tony's um, steel industry. But because we had the opportunity to, to turn around and say, look, I don't know what we're doing here. Can you help us because you have the experience? They're more willing to have that open conversation. Whereas if you turn up, I'm murder for it because I know a lot. I generally go in and say, I need this doing. When I don't actually need this doing, what I need is a solution to the problem. And if I went in and said, look, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? You generally get a more diverse input from the team. So it all depends on who you're working with and how you tackle the collaboration problem. If you go in as a manager or a director, the old style manager director, do this now, you're going to get exactly what you asked for. Whereas if you go in in more of a leader coach perspective and, and say, look, I, we need to get to this end solution. What do you think? You'll get a more diverse and usually a faster, more effective solution to your problem. So yeah, I guess it all depends, Asif, if, you, yeah. if I'm being honest. So there's a really interesting sense there about the style of how you put the request out there. And do you think then, John, that's, is that what's stopping more companies being more collaborative, perhaps the way they're expressing their challenges and problems? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of protectionism. It's the, like I grew up as a toolmaker. Um, I started my life as a toolmaker and there were always people like your, your milling specialist had speeds and feeds written in a little black book that he kept. So if I went to make that job later on, I had to go and ask Mike, Mike, what are the speeds and feeds to get this right? Whereas now in a, in a much more... I don't know, in, in a much less specialist world, because that's we're all generalists now rather than specialists, 
in a much less specialist world, you have to have that information readily available. And that's that's where I think the problem lies, is the old school engineers still like to keep that knowledge in the head because they're afraid someone will come and get the job. Whereas the younger generation of engineers are like, I don't need to know that. I can search Google. So they're more willing to be open and share everything with everybody because the more everyone else knows, the less work you have to do is my mentality. <laughs> Very selfish. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good response. Um, so, so Tony, what I'm keen to understand is, I mean, everyone's talking about collaboration. We need to be more collaborative in, in almost all aspects of business, uh, especially the manufacturing sector. Is it something that can actually be measured as, as a, uh, giving a tangible result or a benefit? What, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's a very good question. And uh, it, it's one that I've, uh, I've never really considered about uh, measuring collaboration. Um, it, it's one of those things that I think you can look back o- over time and come up with uh, examples, maybe anecdotal or more demonstrable. But I, I really, I'm, I'm a bit stumped in terms of, of metric that you could use. But uh, I don't know, maybe John can, <laughs> John might have a better answer to me. Maybe. Uh... Yeah, so I, I actually have a really good example of this. Again, at one of my previous companies, Parker Hannafin, we had a problem with delivery times of, of projects. The R&D team was seen as a roadblock, effectively. So the department slowed things down. If I wanted a product through production, it took three months. If I wanted a product through the test lab, it took three months. But all the time, I think you can measure collaboration in how the relationships work. So I did a study of how R&D was seen and how I was seen in the eyes of everyone, every other department my rankings were higher on the relationship score. So I got my things in three weeks instead of three months. So my projects were all, I, I think I completed six projects in eight months, whereas one of somebody else who started at the same time as me, but were going through the normal channels, they only did two projects in the same timeline. And it was all down to the fact that I knew Steve in the lab and we had a good relationship. We had a chat about football, even though I don't like football. Um, but it was building that relationship to to ensure that we were supporting each other moving forward in every other side of things. So I think if you measure relationships, you can see how your collaboration is is improving things throughout the business. That's a really really interesting take, John. Um, because I, you know some of the work that we do, we do we, people try and attach metrics to collaboration. So they look at the speed, you know, project turnaround time was. 10% faster this week than last week, so therefore our collaboration must be good, like um, effectiveness or uh, reducing errors, you know, uh, quality, that kind of stuff. But what you're talking about is is like a non-tangible. It's, it, it's always kind of hard to measure, but it's it's something that if you invested in, then perhaps you're motivating other people to pull the stops out and get something done uh, for you because you have a good relationship with them. Um but how on earth would you measure a relationship level? This is this is it. Is when you arrange to go out on Friday afternoon, who turns up from where? <laughs> or you do what I did and you walk round you walk round the office and say, Look, I'm trying to do something. How are you, how's your relationship with R and D? And then ask the same question, how's your relationship with me? And how does that actually affect how we get things done? And when you've got people saying, Well, my my, I don't know, my, my score for my relationship with R&D is a two, but my score with you is an eight. And by the way, here's three examples of how you get things done faster than me. Um, it kind of shows that 
my my relationship improves my priority order on their list of things to do. I mean, before this meeting, I had about three hundred post-its on my on my board, which I've removed for the for the podcast. But you can see the ones for people that I like were all in the do now list, not in the to do next week. So there's a real sense of you need to be proactive and go and seek feedback and ask for feedback. And just that the nature of that conversation should hopefully start changing the collaborative relationship you might have with people inside your company and outside your company. That's a, that's a really interesting take, John. Yeah, the problem is people are scared of hearing the feedback. You know, I'm I'm very open. I did I did one of those assessments that tells you whether you're good or bad in certain areas. And then I shared it with the whole of R&D, you know, so everybody knew how I worked, how I wanted to get things done, how open, how collaborative I was. But when I was asking people, would you do this and share it? They said, well, I'd do it, but I won't be sharing it because I don't want you to know where I'm weak. <laughs> That, well, why, why does that actually matter? We're all in a room together, taking the Viking saga mentalities. We're all in the same boat. But if I'm in a boat rowing one direction and you're rowing the other direction, how do I know to tell you to move this way? It just doesn't work if you're not open and honest with what's going on. Yeah, a really fascinating take. So, so then, Tony, if more organizations did the sort of things that we've just been hearing John talk about, what do you think some of the global impacts on the industry might be? Why I'm finding this really interesting is we haven't mentioned, apart from Zoom, we haven't mentioned technology at all yet. It's come back to people, their attitude, being proactive, being open, changing the style of questions you'd ask and the way you engage with your stakeholders inside and outside of the company, not being a mention of technology yet. If we suddenly did all of that overnight, how do you think the industry would change? What were some of the positive impacts we, we you think we would see as a global design and manufacturing sector? I think John sort of uh, you know hit the nail on the head in, in terms of just speed to market. When you're open and honest and collaborative, I think just perhaps with limited exception, you just tend to get you know and I don't have the stats to back it up, but I think anecdotally, when when you're sharing a burden and you're working on a problem together, I mean look look at the COVID vaccines and PPE manufacture uh, ventilator challenges. All of that sort of stuff, uh, you know, there was obviously a big impetus there, but the, the the crisis or pandemic that we've all, you know, have lived through and are still living through is just, you know, a testament to how when you have a, a burning platform and you have that something that has to get done, it just shows we can we can do it. And you work with and collaborate with people, you know, it helps if you like them and they like you. But, you know, even if that's not the case where you, you don't have that uh, personal relationship, we've proven that, that we can do these things, you know, with people that uh, I'm sure probably don't even share the same language. And, and that, uh, you know, the world has come together in, in a fantastic way. And I think what John was describing is, is just sort of uh, fuel to the fire, or there's a, a phrase, uh, it was called greasing the skids, back where, where I, I grew up, a US Navy term. They would say, you know, you need to go and talk to the chief because you got to grease the skids, make it slide, reduce that friction. So uh, faster time to market, more enjoyable journey to get there. It's, it's all, that's how it uh, really should be done. So it was a definite sense of getting things done much faster. And just staying with you for a moment, Tony, do you think that, Again, if we operated in this way, 
there'd be an impact on the levels of innovation that we'd see coming out of the sector? I would have to say yes. You know, like I said, not everyone has a unique uh, and uh, infinite perspective on, on things. That's why uh, I think John mentioned that earlier. You get a, a lot of different uh, different angles on things. And I think John said, you know, if you come in with the old school management, I need you to do this, this, and this, and, and do it like this. You can ask the wrong question. And, and if you've uh, led or collaborated in in a particular style for a long time, there's going to be no willingness to actually combat that or, or you know, the quiet person in the, in the room that's got the best idea. If, if you don't work, you know, in a collaborative manner to get that, uh, encourage that out of them, you'll carry on uh, what they call paving the cow path. You'll, uh, you know, you won't see, you know, the, the much better solution or path. You'll just keep uh, resurfacing that old way of doing things. One thing we haven't talked about is cloud. It is everywhere and it has been here for some time, but there are lots of organizations that seem to be adopting it at a sort of slightly faster rate. Uh, now we, we're faced with this challenge of, of working remotely as we probably will continue to this year. John, what do you think cloud has a role to play in accelerating collaboration? Do you think it's just another piece of technology or, or simply it's just a tool to be used in the right way? What, what's your view on cloud and its role in accelerating collaboration? I'll be honest, cloud is just other people's computers. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we say the cloud, it's literally just someone else's computer somewhere else that everyone has access to. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of those things. I don't think cloud is the is the panacea of, of sharing information. It is just another form of technology to allow these things to happen. You know, I mean, Fusion 360, for instance, has allowed me to work with people two doors away from me, but also in Germany, in Japan, in America, all on the same, same product straight away, all on screen live. It's been fantastic, but could I have done that without the cloud-based thing? Probably, just a little bit more difficult. So it does improve the speed. The technology there, it, the technology is there to improve the speed, and cloud will help with that. Bigger, faster data centers, fantastic. But I don't think it, it's just a tool. Like with the CAD systems, we we speak about CAD systems all day, every day. There's always the you know competitor versus competitor, but realistically, it's just a hammer. You know, every hammer can put a nail in a wall. It's just how do you go about doing it the right way with the right tool? And technology is great, but it's not the thing that gets things done. Yeah, and what I like about your response there is is that it it always comes back to it's the people, the people having the right attitude, the sort of things that you, you both have talked about so far. And then the tech is just simply an enabler to make it happen, you know, maybe a bit faster or a bit more accurately or, or allowing people to connect when they can't physically meet. So we're going to move on to the sort of the, the next sort of section of questions, really. And that's where we sort of imagine that we, we have complete control of the industry and uh, we can make recommendations for the rest of the industry to follow in order to improve their collaboration. It's kind of that sort of thing that we're going to be talking about. So Tony, are there any approaches on collaboration that you've seen, either you have inside your current organization or you've seen inside some of your suppliers that you would consider best practice? Um, and if there are, could you could you maybe share one or two of them? One of the keys really to collaboration is communication. And um, I think having 
uh, having regular communications, uh, spent a number of years in, in uh, financial services and, and uh, software and, and process engineering. So the, the, the uh, agile development, software development method and things like uh, Scrum and Kanban, they, these different uh, buzzwords and buzz phrases are really just common sense repackaged, rebadged. But really, it, it all just comes down to regular, uh, effective communication. And you can call it a daily scrum and call it, uh, you know, the, the weekly uh, progress meeting, uh, you know, whatever you want to. But the times where I've I've worked in, in the past in, uh, in a financial services organization, working on some software to enhance a, a mortgage application process, the, the time I found that worked the best was, in fact, uh, in, in what was called Agile uh, and the daily scrum where you had these short sprints where you were trying to achieve certain things, but really to peel back all, all those uh, labels and titles, it was really at the uh, very basic level. It was just uh, structured, effective, and regular communication, and you couldn't take it for granted. It had to happen every every day, and with discipline, you couldn't sort of opt in and opt out. You really needed to be there and, and walk the walk, talk the talk. Okay, a great example. Um, and so, John, coming to you for almost the, the opposite side of that question, you you know, in your role, you must have seen really terrible examples of, of collaboration where it's gone horribly wrong. And without being specific, could you give us a couple of examples of where it just hasn't worked and maybe maybe why it hasn't worked? I'm working with the PMI at the moment to get my certification for project management. The, the big key for me at previous companies, it's always been a, about the start. And the PMI puts it, I think they've got a stat where it's 70% of all projects fail in the first five minutes because the story isn't laid out well enough. And that's almost every time that I see collaboration failing, it's because people aren't, aren't on the same story. They've heard, everybody's heard the same information but they're all thinking in different ways. So they all go off in different directions and come together two or three days later um, to find that they've all been working to the wrong spec. It's it's more the, for me, it's more about the, how has it been laid out at the beginning to get people on the same bus? You know, it's, and that's where things fail when it comes to collaboration. It's It's not that people aren't, they don't want to be collaborative or the tools aren't there to collaborate. It's that nobody, people aren't thinking about the one reason why they're doing it. They're thinking about their reason why they're doing their specific task. A lack of a kind of a, a clearly defined big picture. Yeah. Well, people might follow the journey, but to use your earlier analogy, but they're probably saying, why am I following this journey? Or I'm just here to do a task, not not contribute to a kind of big bigger picture. I, th- I think that's what I was picking up from what you were saying. Yeah. So if somebody says sell 100 of these products, one person will hear sell 100 of these products at a profit. And another person will hear I'll sell them all at a dollar each. Then my 100 products have gone. You know, the reason I use that story is because I did that. <laughs> um, I was gifted a, an iPad because I was asked to sell a hundred products at a trade show. So I went to our biggest customer and I sold them all for a dollar each. It cost us as a business at the time, $11 to manufacture them. But that didn't matter because I'd been given my target. I knew what my story was, but the, the president at the time hadn't relayed to me 
his reason for doing it. So he wanted to make a profit. I wanted to win an iPad. We weren't we weren't talking the same language. We weren't pointing in the same direction. Wow, that's a good 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 example. So now I'm going to ask you to sort of. Uh... I'm not even sure we've got a name for this section, but it's almost like the fantasy football league, but for manufacturers. You, know, you two are now in charge of the whole industry, the whole sector globally. And we're all asking you, what are the best one, two, or three things that we could do? So um, the audience is going to be uh, other leaders in manufacturing organizations. And they're probably thinking, yeah, okay, I, I get the collaboration isn't purely about tech. It's more about an attitude and a mindset. But how, how can I start? What's the first thing I can do in my business to start being far more collaborative. So, so Tony, what, what advice would you give other people like you, uh, you know, business owners um, uh, running a business? Well, I, I, I think I want to come back to, uh, uh, I, I don't think I could quote it verbatim, but just a, a concept that John, I think I mentioned earlier, and, and that's the open, honest nature of, uh, of communicating where you don't have, even if you think you do, if you don't have the, the answers, you have to elicit that knowledge that's sitting there, you know, in each and every person that you're that you're dealing with. You you have to really encourage that out, and whether that be something like uh, I've seen companies that have uh, I think it's called the one 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 challenge. I think it's a, they donate one uh, percent of uh, of their profits to charities. They they donate one percent of their time to give people time off to 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 get away from the office and and do something. You know, you want the ideas and the best practices coming out of of everyone. So you, you really have to sometimes manufacture something that uh, kind of has, has a, a bit of a title or, or a label to, to acknowledge that and, and actually be consistent. Take the time to ask the question, even if you think you already know the answer. People will value the fact that, that they're being heard and, and their opinion is, is being being sought. So almost like I'm creating a culture within the business where this is just normal to ask these open questions and, and admit you don't know everything and just foster that spirit of working together. I think that's what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. To twist it back the, the, the other way, uh, back when I worked in a uh, financial services company back in, uh, gosh, probably 15 years ago now, you know, I, I, was, I was a new guy and had a, a loads, of, loads of energy, loads of ideas and really brimming with, uh, you know, wanting want to change the world and, and set the world on fire. And uh, this old kind of grumpy gentleman that, that was nearing retirement, you know, and I was very young in my career, took me aside one day, he said, let's, let's go have a, you know, he said, I'm going to have a cigarette and, and uh, grab a coffee and uh, let's go out and have a chat. We went out there and he says, look, you know, you got loads of energy. And he said, you got loads and loads of ideas. He says, but the one thing you got to realize about this place is that anyone can have an idea, but you have to be here for six months before you can have a good one. And, and that was, you know, I know it was spoken in jest, but was it, you know, there, there is a, a certain culture and companies that stories like that uh, actually, actually speak, uh, you know, louder than, than the actual words. I've had that exact same feedback, exact same feedback. There's no point having lots of good ideas, John. That's that's the feedback that you get. It's like, oh, okay, I'll just continue doing what I've always done. <laughs> so, John, we're coming to you then. So same question to you. Um, the entire industry is listening to you. Well, I hope they are anyway. And um, you've got like one bit of advice you could give other leaders in terms of how they can start to build this sort of, you know, culture of more collaboration inside the business. So, so what would the, be the first piece of advice you would give them? Be open and honest, but make sure it comes from a place of love. So don't be afraid of a tough discussion. 
because the discussions aren't it's not personal it's all about the how do we how do we get you from where you are now to your end goal so for me day one of starting at Alcometer three and a half four years ago I sat down with my boss and told him I was going to be the R&D director in five years straight out of the gate he knew exactly what my target was and he was <laughs> he was a little blunt in that he did say well you'll never get there but if you want to get there, these are the things that you need to do to make yourself a little more um, acceptable in that area. So it was, it came from a place of love because he wanted me to grow and improve and do better and, and steal his job from him in three to five years. But he was honest enough to tell me that, that right now I'm not there. But for me as, a, as an employee hearing that at the time, I went, you can't tell me I can't have your job. But when you sit back and think about it, it it is all about the open and honest criticism, but my ability to take that, because I'm an engineer, we don't take things to heart generally. We just go, oh, okay, what do I have to do to overcome that problem? And that's what I would say to the rest of the world. Stop being so precious about who you are, what you're doing, and comments coming back to you. Take them as constructive criticism, not somebody calling your names and I think that for me that's that's how I've seen the best growth in my staff the best growth in myself is that if you don't take things personally and you assume that everything comes from a place of love to help you grow and develop it's going to push push you and the business forward exponentially but you've also got to be open and honest about where your end goal is so that people can help you to get there. And so perhaps some of the things you were talking about there, John, go back to something I asked Tony earlier in terms of how you measure collaboration. And you talked about growth and development of staff, employee satisfaction, employee happiness. I'm guessing that if you build this sort of culture, those things just become self-evident in terms of your company productivity, the happiness of your people. So it sounds like there are potential measures that we could look at uh, on top of the kind of relationship building one that um, that you talked to us about? Yeah, I mean, I, I worked in an R&D department where turnover was 30%. Every year, 30% of the staff left, 30% of the staff moved in. Uh, I implemented a very open and honest uh, feedback solution where I, I gathered what motivated my staff and I built, I told them where I wanted them to go and we came to an agreement to move forward that almost instantly dropped from 30% to 7%. So your retention, when you have that open, collaborative relationship, your retention rates come way down. So you keep your good staff for longer because you've got that relationship. And that's what it, for me, that's what it all comes down to. It's having a good relationship in the team. Just like a marriage, if you've got a terrible relationship, you don't talk. When you have a good relationship, everything's on the table great i mean i've now got the really difficult job of trying to summarize the, the kind of key learnings that you've both been sharing with us over this sort of discussion so i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a go <laughs> so it, it seems that we work in an industry where we take ideas and we kind of turn them into reality whether that's product or a business right so there's, there's a journey that we go on to take ideas and turn them into reality but we as individuals, we can't do everything on our own, and we certainly can't know everything uh, as, as an individual. 
So there is no choice other than to collaborate with people who can do some of these other things and know some of the things that we don't know. So it seems that collaboration is more of an attitude, a personal attitude that we can take into our kind of working relationships with other people to make that journey as successful as we possibly can. And some of the things that we'll need to equip ourselves with, it, it seems to come back just to culture. Um, again, I'm really, I'm sort of pleased in a way that technology wasn't really mentioned, but it all comes back to culture. Having a culture in the organization of being open, transparent, where community people communicate with clarity, where they can disagree but commit, um, and really build these relationships with their key stakeholders inside and outside of the business. It seems like that is the number one thing that anyone can do tomorrow to start improving the level of collaboration they have inside their company and outside of the company. And of course, tech is there, but that could accelerate that. But it just always seems to come back to the one thing that people can do is build a culture where collaboration is the norm. I hope that accurately reflected what, what you both sort of shared. It's always difficult to try and summarize these things as the conversation unwinds. But what I'd like to do is um, offer a huge thanks to both, both our guests, so Tony Cox and John Grimshaw. So thank you ever so much for being a guest on today's episode. Thank you. Been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's been great. So sadly, this is actually the last episode in our series of podcasts, but we do hope to be back with another series in the not-too-distant future. So uh, in the meantime, I'll say something that I've become used to saying now. Don't forget to like and subscribe, The Art of the Impossible. And we look forward to speaking with you again sometime in the future. Thanks very much. <laughs>